Welcome back everyone to Top Deck Insight. My name is Sam and I'm joined by my co-hosts today, Josh and Sarah. We're three friends who love Magic the Gathering and we have created this podcast to bring to you our enlightened conversations. If you like what we do, follow us on Twitter at Top Deck Insight. Now let's get into the episode. So we're um, how far into Strixhaven now? A week and a half? A week and week and a bit? Week and a half. Week about a week and a half. It's been out on on, on arena. Yeah. Um, and I I really think that all we have to talk about at the moment is arena experience. Mm-hmm. I still haven't got my hand on any Strixhaven cards, uh, because our local game store has had an issue with their shipment and they haven't oh, got no. any Strixhaven cards in at the moment. Um, oh. and so I you know I have spoken to them and uh, like told them these are the singles that I'm after. Um, and they said they let me know when they get them in stock. Um, so actually, you guys let me know if you want any singles. Mm-hmm. I'll lump them into the order. Uh, but yeah, still waiting on, on our Strixhaven paper. Um, but have been playing a lot of Arena to make up for the lack of uh, of paper cards to play yeah. with. Haven't been able to play around with Pauper much or Commander. Um, so I've been playing a whole ton of Limited. That is what I've been grinding. I, I, I'm not really... So I, I, I don't I don't know I haven't, I haven't played much standard um, or historic or anything like that I've just been just been grinding limited and I have to say uh, limited is really really fun in Strixhaven I've been having so much fun uh, well I say limited I've really just been drafting and, and that's been a ton of fun and I think that you know if you're kind of a newer player to limited I think I've distilled some kind of sage advice for uh how to how what what tactics to go into the draft bearing in mind Mm -hmm. okay um so i think that you know in general you want to try and draft within the colleges that's that's pretty foundational yeah um but i think that when you go into the colleges there are different strategies that seem to sort of rise to the surface and i really think some are better than others good example is witherbloom like on the one hand, Witherbloom has uh, massively undercosted creatures like Bayou Groff and Demogoth Woe Eater and Demogoth Titan, which are like four mana eleven tens or whatever. <laughs> um, and the, it, it seems, I think, so I think they're a trap. I think they're a bit of a trap in limited. Uh, it seems that you could draft these creatures and then just start attacking in. And as long as you're making pests, you have the pests to sacrifice <laughs> to your Demogoths and for your Bayou Groths, and that would be good. And it's just not. Um, I have not had or seen much success. Really? No, I haven't um, from the sort of Witherbloom mid-range, like going one for one uh, on all of your opponent's uh, spells and answers and, and playing out like these big creatures and just chonking in for damage. I think that Witherbloom's working a lot better if you focus on that life drain uh, tactic. Mm-hmm. So, like, Dina the Soul Steeper, um, Witherbloom Pledge Mage, uh, and uh, Witherbloom Apprentice. Um, 
like those cards that drain your opponent when you gain life. I think focusing on draining your opponent out of the game with um, with all those kinds of spells and then pests and, and plumb the forbiddens uh, and going down that route, so kind of indirect damage, I think that's a lot stronger in okay. Limited. So would that would you take a Dina over Demogod Titan pack one pick one? Yes. Really? Yeah, I definitely would. Ooh. Definitely. I, I would not yeah, <laughs> Demogod Titan I've not been very impressed with at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you sound like you disagree. Have you seen anything different, Sam? Well, the two Witherbloom lists that I have played both have had Demogoth Titan. Um, so one of the lists had... It was, a, it was a ridiculously good list. It went like 6-3, I think. Um, it had Demogoth Titan, it had a bunch of pests, and like 60% of the deck was removal. I've managed to pick up like two Eliminates, three Lash of Malice... One of them was uh, Putrefy, Putrefy, sorry, uh, the Mystic Archive card. One of them was, uh, I can't remember what else, but that had Demonic Tutor as well. So mm. I was able to Demonic Tutor my Demogoth Titan and consistently get like turn four. Um, it, I think that one did really well. Um, a lot of the time, if I got it out on turn four with a bunch of pests from like the, the two mana create a pest learn card, for example, get a pest summoning for next turn, play that, and then you've got three pests for your turn for Demogoth Titan. Um, generally, that was enough to outrace the opponent and just, yeah. just put away... Like, they would they would refuse to attack because they didn't want to let throw an 11-10. Then my 11-10 attacks it anyway and they chump it with their 2-1 flyer or something. It, it seemed like it put on way too much pressure for them to handle. Yeah. That's what my experience was with the with the Blind deck. So the other Demogoth Titan deck I did build didn't do as well because I did get really unfortunate with pest cards mm-hmm. i didn't get like any one of the one of the only few pest cards i got was the sacrifice one which did well which did win me a game because i managed to sacrifice my demogoth time for 11 pests yeah. and that was enough to go wide and kill them but yeah I, I i think it's a fairly valid and strong strategy maybe if you get really lucky like me and have enough removal to just get rid of their creatures and punch through with an 11 10 that makes sense that's gonna win yeah um but yeah i don't know I, I don't see the room in within five turns to you know like make enough creatures uh, that you're not just sacking your Demogoth Titan the turn after it comes in mm-hmm. uh, because like if you had one creature down um, and then you play your, your Demogoth Titan then you go to your opponent's turn they find a way to remove your other creature then you're sacrificing the Titan and, and, mm-hmm. and I think you sacrifice a creature every time it attacks as well yeah attacks um, or blocks or blocks yeah I mean yeah. that's that's two sacrifices a turn right but you never run a block with it. If you let the damage through it and they're attacking you with their... Is, is it not blocks. an upkeep as well? Not an upkeep, no. It's okay, only so attack it a block, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, which is, yeah, Demogoth Woe Eater is the 7-6, the which is an uncommon rarity, which is every upkeep. Um, which is a lot worse, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, the, the attack a block, you're only sacrificing one creature per turn, mostly, because you're if, if you choose not to block... That means they're attacking with one less blocker, and you have a way better attack than them because you're attacking with eleven. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think I don't know, I don't know. Well, I, I guess what we look at is the, uh, the like the commons in mm-hmm. the colors, um, and the commons in the colors are so like Professor of Zoomancy um, makes a pest, mm-hmm. uh, and so kind of works with the strategy two creatures uh, for the price of one, but it's a four drop and it occupies the same slot as Demon yeah. Titan. Um, 10, the pest is of course really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you've got, you've got pest summoning, which pest is obviously summoning, really nice. Yeah. Um, uh, search for specimens. 
which makes a pest and learns, mm-hmm. and then I guess you could curve into pest summoning and exactly, then, then yeah. Demogod Titan. I can see the synergy there, but I think that some of the best Witherbloom cards um, are the ones like the, the Witherbloom Pledge Mage, the 5-5, mm. the five five, which, uh, does it drain your opponent? I think it does. I can't remember if it's oh, drain it's or just loses one life. Magecraft, and Magecraft, you gain a life, I think. You gain a life. Oh, so, so they don't lose a life? No. Okay. Uh, but there are other cards in Witherbloom that do. Uh, that, that, that do kind of help you drain your opponent out. And I, I found that strategy to be a lot more consistently good than mm-hmm. the Demogoth Titan strat. Uh, like, I think things like a... I think that just one big creature is manageable in this format. Like, one... Yeah. I, 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 I'm finding this a pretty low-powered format. Uh, like, most of the time, one bomb is not... It is manageable for a deck. Uh, not all of them. There are some bombs that are just completely broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Blot Out the Sky is one of those. <laughs> I mean, unless you're board wiping, there's just no way. There's no way of beating it. Um, but yeah, I, I think one big creature is just feels really manageable in this format. There's lots of bounce spells. There's lots of like decent blockers. Um, and one that's making your opponent sort of cannibalize their own board. I don't know. It feels beatable, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, Sarah, you've drafted Witherbloom and you've played with Witherbloom in Limited do you have any thoughts like what do you think out of those strategies is I've only one? played the life draining one yeah with I've Dina not, yeah with yeah. Dina but that was successful right yeah really successful yeah. that worked really well but yeah I haven't come across even all the games I've played against other people mm. I've only come across a Dina style okay. life drain deck I've not seen the was it Demogoth Titan? Demogoth yeah. Titan, yeah. yeah. I've not seen that at all in the yeah, games. That's I've more played. like the, the sacrifice oriented Witherbloom, I guess, as yeah. opposed to the life gain one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, e- even Bayougroff I've not been super impressed with. Yeah, neither. Like sacrificing a creature to get one down, and then, you know, he gets heated, debated, and you've got two fawned. Yeah, you have, you have a lot of. <clears throat> apologies. You have a lot of. Uh, as you said earlier, like your your bomb creatures, your two mana five fours, and and they're they're really quite easy to handle in this mm-hmm. format. Every color usually has enough ways to stall the game a bit longer, yeah, to survive and and just outvalue. So yeah, I I guess I can agree with that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so Quandrix, moving on from Weatherbloom, uh, I in my experience, it wants to ramp, of course, um, but I think that the best big payoffs for ramp in this format are in Prismari. Uh, and so I think that Quandrix splashing red for the top end Prismari spells like Magma Opus, Elemental Masterpiece, um, things like that, uh, uh, even Explosive Welcome, or uh, so I played a Quandrix deck with Cracker with Power. Nice. Um, and I think that... Uh, yeah, Quandrix splashing red might be, might be my the most powerful color combination in the set at mm-hmm. this point, uh, because Quandrix is really really strong. But uh, I did a couple of early drafts with Quandrix, and I don't know if you guys recall. I think I mentioned last week that it felt like it just ramped into nothing. Yeah, like it felt I, like it yeah. it ramped and then just it. Uh, I actually decked myself um, <laughs> a couple a, a couple of times playing Quandrix because it ramped and drew cards so well and then there was nothing on the top end mm. um, but the Prismari, Prismari has such an amazing top end so many awesome spells that are like upwards of 5 CMC uh, that I think that 
Quandrick splashing red for Prismari is exactly where you want to be. Mm. Uh, and actually, so color fixing is at a real premium in this format. Uh, there is emergent sequence, which searches for a land. Environmental Sciences, which searches for a land, and is a really good card. And then Campus Guide, which puts searches for a land, puts it on top of your library. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, that's three fixes. I mean, I guess you've got stuff like Acceptance Letter as well. Yeah, those are the like colorless ones, yeah. Yeah, colorless ones, but I think the other three feel fairly efficient. Um, the, the three that I listed before. All the other like uh, color fixing in the format feels inefficient. Like mm. Ar Archway Commons, I think, is the land. Yeah, I'm um, not a fan of that card at all. No, no. Uh, Hall of Oracles, though, <laughs> really good. Uh, that's the rare land that does a similar thing to Archway Commons, but you can, if you've played an instant sorcery, you can tap it and put a 1 1 counter on a creature. Yes. That's great. I've played, I've, I've drafted with that, and that was busted in Lawhold. Um, but yes, I think that Quandrix has access to Emergent Sequence, which is one of the few. Um, uh, color fixes in the format that other decks can't play. Mm. Any deck can play environmental sciences, any deck can play campus guide, but only green decks can play emergent sequence, really. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the fixing is slightly higher quality in a Quandrix, and so it's a lot easier to go into Prismari. Uh, also, all of the, like the, so some of the top end Prismari spells like Magma Opus and Elemental Masterpiece have that. Um, you can you can pay two hybrid Prismari mana, mm -hmm. um, discard them and make a treasure. Mm -hmm. So if you just don't have your fixing uh, and you can't cast this spell, then you can just make your treasure because you'll have two blue because you're in Quandrix anyway. So you, you can make your treasure and use that as a red source for the next one that you draw. Um, or if you uh, get it back from the library with like an Ether Helix or something. Yeah. Is Ether Helix going to get permanence? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, Is I it card or permanent? Sure. I'm not sure. Uh, but... Yes, uh, so I, I am finding Quandrix with a Prismari top end really, really strong. Uh, and I think that that's, if you're going to be drafting Quandrix, that's what you want to look out for. Quandrix is really good, but the best top ends are in Prismari. So and you can absolutely play them. I've, I've thought, I always wondered if it's better to draft Prismari and splash Quandrix. Mm -hmm. Because I, so I actually, the, the Prismari decks that I've drafted have actually had a better time splashing white with uh, Lawhold, basically. So Prismari Lawhold, because Lawhold has a bunch of graveyard strategies. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is like Radiant Scroll Wielder, which I've managed to pull twice as well. Um, but yeah, the idea is that in Lawhold, you have the graveyard strategies and Prismari lets you discard your big spell to ramp and mana fix effectively. Um, and then you can like cast it from your graveyard or return it from your graveyard with the cards in white yeah um right. that's kind of the list with prismari i've had the most success with because you get the most out of discarding your card yeah um so if you pick a bunch of the top end like seven eight mana spells and you kind of think of them as a i'm not going to actually play this i'm just going to use it to discard um it's a lot stronger i think that way mm -hmm. i agree and i think that works because Lawhold as a color pair. Mm. Um, I, I think when the set first came out, we thought, you know, is this going to be an aggro color pair or is it going to be grindy? It's definitely grindy. Mm -hmm. uh, it definitely works a lot better if you're going for a like a grindy graveyard recursion deck than a Lawhold aggro deck. Um, and because it's better grindy, it works really well 
in, with the Prismari colors. Uh, and so, yeah, this is this is the argument against what I just said about Quandrix Prismari being the best kind of three color pair mm. uh, in the format. And that's that um, it's quite a slow format. And so, you know, these big top end spells in Prismari, you're getting there anyway. You don't always need to ramp to get to them. And so just playing Prismari Lawhold, mm-hmm. uh, like you are still getting to eight, nine mana. Um, it happens most games. And so I think that there is, poss- I think you're right. I probably wouldn't build Prismari and Splash Green because I think that, I think green works best as a base color yeah. in this format because that's where all the ramp is. And you know, you, you want to be able to play a ramp early. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, um, Prismari is really strong. It can be aggressive, uh, or it can be control. I think it's at its best when it's control, but it totally can be aggressive. Mm. Like um, playing the Prismari Apprentice, which has Magecraft that makes it means it can't be blocked. That's um, uh, Prismari Pledge Mage. Pledge it? Mage. Yep. Sorry. Uh, Apprentice. Oh, wait, no, no. Apprentice. You're right. Sorry, I got that wrong. Ah. They both do similar things. The Pledge <laughs> Mage has Defender, and it has Magecraft that means it can attack. Yes. Yeah. And then the Apprentice has Magecraft means it can't be blocked yeah mm-hmm. it's really confusing <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, um and then spectacle mages which are evasive even waterfall areas aerialist four mana three one with ward which flies mm. um prismari aggro is is totally real uh but I'm, i have been more impressed with big prismari basically yeah. uh, and i think that comboing like it can it can work well with quandrix it can work well with Lawhold. Uh, I, I would say in a vacuum red blue are probably the strongest colors yeah. in this in this uh in this format um, Silver Quill is the aggressive matchup. So I really, really like, I will take it, like, I, I want to say, I really, really like how they've done the colleges mm-hmm. in this set. Like, they are very different to the Ravnica guilds. They all feel different. You know, red white is grindy, not mm. aggro. Black white is not controlly in, uh, in this limited format, it's aggressive. Uh, like I, I think Silver Quill. If you're gonna draft Silver Quill, just go for as many one drops as you can get. Like the one drops are really, really critical in Silver Quill. Mm-hmm. Um, the the removal I think is best in Black. Uh, yeah. Black Black has the best removal in the set with like Lash of Malice, Flunk, um, uh, and then the Mystical Archive cards. You've got Eliminate. You've got Doomblade, um, and uh, a Mage Hunter's Onslaught, which is a common four mana. Mm-hmm. Uh, removal spell like I think that black I don't know how strong it is as a color really but it does have the best removal um, and silver quill wants to go aggressive just go straight in with flying with lifelink um, with efficiently costed removal and and end the game as quick as possible so if you're gonna draft sil- silver quill focus on the the one and two slots uh, ma- one and two mana value slots in your deck that's where you're going to be the most successful. You can even argue that Silver Quill is like the kind of anti-meta deck to go for because if you're playing against all these grindy mm-hmm. sort of uh, decks, uh, if you can get those early the early pressure in and yeah. just sort of you know deal damage, you can kind of fluster your opponent quite oh quickly. Oh my god! They have no. I was drafting. I was drafting yesterday, and I wasn't recording it. Uh, but as soon as it happened, I, I wished that I'd recorded it <laughs> because I was talking out loud, kind of practicing my camera presence while I'm drafting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing a uh, Quandrex ramp deck 
and I was on the draw and I looked at my opening hand. I said, this opening hand is really good, but we're on the draw. Uh, but I think it beats everything but Silver Quill aggro. <laughs> uh, like, as long as it's not Silver Quill aggro, we're probably going to win this game. And I, I kept the hand and then it was... It was turn one star pupil, oh. turn two arrogant poet, oh. turn three arrogant poet, and I was like, "This is absolutely ridiculous!" Yeah. Like, and I got I got steamrolled in like five turns. Uh, Silver Quill wants to be really, really aggressive, and that's where that college does the best. Yeah, um, I think like like I said, you can sort of splash three colors. Uh, I would kind of I think that the late game colleges go well together. I don't think you want to splash in Silver Quill really. Uh, because it wants to be so lean and it wants to be such an aggressive deck. But the rest of the colleges, you know, I, I can see some kind of mixing. Yeah. Um, I think Witherbloom pairs best with blue because um, it gives you a little bit more ramp. And Witherbloom, I think the way that I've seen it, you know, ramping up in Witherbloom is good. You, you want to get as much value as you can and outvalue your opponents. Mm. And that's a lot easier when you have a lot of land. Um, and that's it. So, the, the, like, the five colleges, uh, you, generally, if you're going into a draft and you're fairly new to the set, you want to identify which college is open um, and slot into that. There is room to splash, but if you are going to uh, go into a college, I would say, um, ex by all means, experiment. But if you're trying to play it safe, then uh, Witherbloom wants to be life drain grindy quandrix wants to ramp but the best payoffs are in prismari prismari is super strong and can be aggro or can be control try and commit to one uh silver quill wants to be as aggressive as possible and Lawhold wants to be grindy and focus on graveyard recursion mm -hmm. um so you know i just don't think you'll have much success if you go for Lawhold and try and be aggressive I guess it can be kind of aggressive, though. It can be. It can be. But <laughs> I, I wouldn't advise want it. Red yeah. white to be aggressive. That's well, <laughs> I think, yeah. But <laughs> it has like it has the potential to be. Yeah. But the, the way that I've seen it play out in a few drafts now is that your best bet, and and often with draft, you have to go with well, what's my best bet? Mm. You know, not not what could this, what could I potentially get? Uh, what's most likely to happen? Uh, like. Um, uh, so uh, one thing that I've noticed in this set, which I think is really tough to do when you're a newer player, uh, is you you will you will be much more rewarded for remaining flexible uh, mm. later into the pack. If pack pack one pick one, you get a really busted um, bomb, something like uh, um, I don't know a crackle with power, uh, but then you find that. Silver Quill is super open after five or six picks. Having the flexibility to just abandon the Cracklewood power and go into Silver Quill um, will mean that you're more successful mm. in your drafts in this format. Uh, like, I have abandoned a lot of really great early picks because after a few picks, I've seen which college is open by the colors of the cards that were being passed over and slotted into that and have been massively rewarded for it. Uh, and I think that that's really important in this draft uh, is not to try and force it, not to like make a few early picks and think, okay, well, this is looking like a really good uh, Lawhold aggro deck. 
Um, or, or like this is looking. I've got a, a couple of really good aggro cards. Um, Lawhold is open, so I'm going to build Lawhold, but I, I need it to be aggro, and I need it. I need to draw these cards, and, and it does have the potential to be good. But I think your best bet is to just draft what's open and to try and slot into these kinds of uh, these strengths. Like um, Witherbloom can be all about getting down the big creatures and slamming in, uh, but I think that. You know, eight, nine drafts out of ten, you will have more success drafting Weatherbloom if you focus on the life drain mm. rather than the big chunkers. Big chunkers. Yeah, I think just because of how the rest of the format's looking at the moment, how the commons and uncommons line up, I think that uh, these kinds of archetypes for each of the colleges is where I've had the most success. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would advise for a newer player. Fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, moving on from Limited, what's going on in Standard at the moment? Have either of you been playing much Standard? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, have you, what have you been up to, Sam? Um, been playing a lot of Standard. Uh, standard hasn't really changed at all, I would say. There's been one deck that I think has risen to sort of the new, maybe like tier one decks, uh, and that is Boros Winota, which is what I've been playing. Um, so Boros Winota in Strixhaven got a brand new couple cards. Uh, the first thing, obviously, to look at with Winota list is a human, because you want to have big humans to cheat out, basically, because that's what Winota does. She looks at the top six cards of your library and picks a human, puts it into into play attacking with Indestructible. So you want to look in the new set for you know big humans that you can cheat out. And in this set, we got a Blade Historian, which was... Four mana gives all your creatures double strike. I think we touched on what the list does last week, um, but since last episode, I have kind of tuned the deck to the meta a little bit. Um, so the list that I ran, I've reached Mythic rank, and the list that I ran to Mythic without changing it at all was PVDDR's list because um, you know PVDDR is an insanely good player. He's quite good, isn't he? Pre yeah, he's pretty decent. <laughs> Uh, I could probably trust his judgment on the cards that he picks. Real up and comer, that one. Real up and comer, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a lot of potential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they even made a card after him because he's just so much potential. Yeah, so much potential. <laughs> um, yeah, so his list, it's a good list. You can find it on his articles and stuff on Star City Games and uh, all of that. But I, I did find I had a, like a dislike for some of the cards that he picked. Uh, one of them was Luminarch Aspirant. Mm -hmm. So Luminarch Aspirant was in Zendikar and was one of the best white aggro cards to be printed in a while. It reads yeah. as a two mana 1-1 one, one, and at the beginning of combat each turn put a counter on a creature you control. I really, think it still is. I think it's busted. It's you, really are you, good. Are you coming off of it? So in Winota I'm coming off of it because I think it's, it's a human, right? It's a two-mana human, and that's not ideal mm -hmm. when you're playing Winota because you want to play your early non-humans so yeah. you get a big Winota attack. And you don't want to hit it off And you don't want to hit it off of Winota because it doesn't have an end-to-the-battlefield effect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a slight whiff, unfortunately. Um, and I think PVDDR built that list with that in mind because he, he would have added the amount of humans to try and minimise the amount that you'd whiff, mm -hmm. but I would consider... Luminarch Aspirant a whiff anyway. Yeah. So with that logic in mind, I cut that from the list. In, um, this is after I got to Mythic, though. Uh, this is for the standard metagame challenge. Um, 
to combat the meta game, I changed it. I changed it up. So I took out four Luminarch Aspirants and put in uh, a new Strixhaven card, which I wanted to try out, and I think is a much better fit in the deck. And that is the white black Dean card. Uh, Shyla Dean of something. Shale. Shale. That one is a. <laughs> Shale is a two mana. Dean of Rem- Remembrance. Something. Something like that. Have I made that up? Have I completely made that up? Th- that's probably one of the deans. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Yeah, but effectively, you you don't have any black in the deck, so the other side doesn't actually matter, which is maybe something to explore. Radiance. Dean of Radiance. Dean of Radiance. Shyla, Dean of Radiance. Mm-hmm. So he reads, or she, it. Definitely a she, right. Oh, it's, it's a bird. A bird. So it's a bird. The they. bird reads, <laughs> um, it's a two mana, one one with flying vigilance. Pretty decent stats and keywords. Um, two mana, one one flying vigilance, and it taps to put a creature that enters the battlefield this turn, uh, Gives it, gives it a counter, which can be really nice um, because it has Vigilance, so you can attack with it and then use its ability to just make your guys a bit stronger, similar to Luminarch Aspirant. And it is a non-human. It is a bird cleric. So that will trigger Winota, which is really important. Um, yeah, so I elected to take out all four of the Illuminarch Aspirants. I didn't put four of that card in because it is a legendary card. Mm-hmm. I would consider putting four in if I could cast the other side, but it yeah. doesn't seem good to put black in Winota right now. Yeah, um, You don't really want to play three colors in an aggro combo deck, basically. So yeah, I put in three, Shyla, and this was sort of my metagame pick, was I put in one of Phoenix of Ash. So Phoenix of Ash is an escape creature, and I think with the current landscape of Standard and the huge influx of rogues, Demir rogues being a thing, you have to play at least one escape card in your yep. main board. Because um, that game one against rogues, you know, if they get if they manage to mill your Phoenix of Ash, you know, you're, you're going to win probably because mm-hmm. that thing's a repeatable 3-3 three, three flyer haste and it exiles the card so they can't counter it with Drown in the Lock and stuff. It's just such a great card against rogues. Um, so I run one of that in the main board uh, and it is a non-human, of course. So on turn three, it swings in for two. Turn four, it triggers with Nota. Mm-hmm. Really, really nice card for the deck. Um, and I will take it out. Uh, I have, I have. sorry, I won't take it out. I have one in the main board, three in the sideboard. Yeah. Um, which also replaces from PVDDR's list. He has three Ox of Agonas in the sideboard, which I don't think is great for this deck. Obviously, it's a really good anti-rogues deck. Yeah. Uh, ro- rogues card, sorry. Because it's uh, it exiles eight cards from your graveyard. Uh, but at the at the point where that's good, you don't really want to discard your hand because say on turn three they've milled you to at least eight cards. By then you're going to have like five cards in hand. You don't want to discard all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you do. I'm not sure, but it just didn't see. It seems so much worse than Phoenix in this deck because yeah. it's not. It's at five mana at its normal cost. You're not using it. Uh, it's like comes after Winota basically. Yeah. Um, the Phoenix is way more attributive to your turn four. So I think the metagame pick is to bring in Phoenix as opposed to Ox of Agonas. And that's good insight because I think that uh, Ox of uh, Agonas, 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 whatever. The Ox, the Ox sees play because it is the most efficient um, 
uh, escape card against rogues, mm-hmm. i.e. it is the lowest mana for the highest number of cards exiled from your graveyard. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it sees so much play. I think it's two mana to escape, and you exile seven or eight cards, right? Eight cards, yeah. Eight cards, which is huge. And you can get through, like, uh, a massive... Like, it's, it's very easy to keep your graveyard pretty much empty, mm-hmm. um, which powers down the rogues deck big time. Um, but that makes sense to me. Everything that you've said there does make a lot of sense. It doesn't fit into the curve of your deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not, it, like, playing it on time normally means it's not as good uh, so that's really good insight yeah so people out there when willing to combat rogues i do think i i did struggle in that matchup even with the ox of agonas uh, when i was laddering um, without the phoenix i struggled with that matchup a lot um that and i think saltai yorian were like my the the most decks i lost to um, I do have a really positive win rate against Yorian, but against Rogues, it was like 3-3 or something. Yeah. Uh, and this is best of three, of course. Um, so with that in mind, in the metagame challenge, uh, again, I expected a bunch of Rogues because it's one of the best best of three decks. Um, yeah, and the plan worked out perfectly. Having the Phoenixes, four of them in the, in, in the main board, was just so, it was just more than enough to just completely stomp Rogues. They cannot keep up with the amount of damage that you're dealing with haste with the 3-3 that is just repeatable mm-hmm. and turns off their counters, turns off their into the story at the cost. Because it's it's a, at the escape cost is three cards, um, which obviously isn't a whole lot, but it's repeatable. It's so much more repeatable than Ox because once you do it once with Ox and they kill it, then you have to wait for them to mill you eight again. But once they kill your Phoenix, they've wasted a card killing it and you can just do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. It's so much more efficient and so much easier to play phoenix yeah and and yeah so that worked against like at least four rogues four rogue decks i came across um stomped them all yeah it's really good that's good any deck that stomps rogues in standard Mm -hmm. is probably gonna be a fan favorite yeah so if if it beats rogues and it beats yorian then you're in pretty good shape it does it can do really well against yorian exactly um yorian can you kind of just have to hope they don't just kill every one of your creatures every turn because they generally will try to. Um, but yeah, it, the Winota deck can easily be Yorian, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Raidan. Ry- Raidan, we, we had this discussion <laughs> last time <laughs> we as well. Raidan, I think, Redane. is what we settled on. How does CGB say it? Raidan. That's enough for me. Okay, yeah, so Raidan is like your big blowout card against. Uh, ultimatum you can usually just win with that card alone just because it makes all of their board wipes and their good spells cost two more mm-hmm. which which is that like extra two turns to completely wipe out the game um yeah the list has been proven to be really powerful and standard it's definitely one to check out costs a lot of wild cards unfortunately because of a bunch of new yeah, heavy on rares. the rares heavy on the rares um but yeah check so out the deck you uh did you say you've played the metagame challenge Mm -hmm. how did you do and how did you find it what did you come up against so the metagame challenge is so first of all because it's i I think i read up on how they match you up with people Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually based on not on rank which is a bit unfortunate because uh it's based on your win rate in the challenge so far so when you start off you come across against anyone basically yeah and uh those were usually quite free. <laughs> Those were, you, you know, I, I was, I was, I came across like a black white clerics deck, and I was like, it's not good enough. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, it, the first match was usually really easy. Once you get to the second and third matches, though, generally you come across like the more 
metagame decks. I didn't actually come across anyone playing Sultai mm-hmm. Ultimatum, which is quite weird. Um, but a huge influx of it was Rogues. There was a bunch of Mono Red as well. Mono Red was a, like two of, two of my run denners. Yeah, uh, Mono Red's quite hard because they can just do. They can Mono Red can be really strong in standard right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the it was an interesting sort of few runs. Definitely worth doing the metagame challenge. You get so much out of it. Because uh, I think it costs 2,000 coins to enter, and you can get that back if you get three wins in a row. Mm. Um, you get 2,000 coins in, like, six packs or three packs or something, which isn't a whole lot. But, you know, if you get that further, I managed to get to 6 which won me 20 packs and however many gold. And that enough was... it. W- that was worth it, paying however many co- coins I spent to enter the event. Yeah. I think I, paid, I think I did it three times, and so that's, like, 6,000 gold paid. And out of it, I got like 30 packs and 2,000 gold back or something like that. Definitely worth doing. Um, really fun event. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, interesting decks to, on the first game. You know, I came across there. There was another one that was like, a, gosh, what was it? I think it was Mono White Taxes or something. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was really weird. Um, oh, and there was like a, uh, one that was using Silver Core Silencer, which actually gave me a bit of trouble. Um, I've seen some some good uh, like constructed decks going around yeah. based on all of the all of the colleges. I think Sarah's actually built one recently in Witherbloom colors. This morning, very recently. <laughs> this morning, <laughs> I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there is a um, a silver quill deck that I've seen going around, which is kind of fairly aggressive um, and really heavy on the hand hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think it's a really interesting deck because it plays, um, I can't remember the names of the cards, but a lot of the cards that um, kind of pull cards out of your opponent's hand or like you declare a card name and they can't cast it mm-hmm. um, and the like elite spellbinders. And I think it requires a really intimate knowledge of your opponent's deck to yeah. effectively pilot. And I find that really fascinating. I like decks like that. Yeah. Um, so, But Sarah, you, you built a Witherbloom deck as well uh to play in standard was it yes okay can you tell us about that what was the thinking behind that deck and what does it do and how does it stack up well it's an adapted cgb list from one of his videos that i watched so it's with a bloom life drain i guess mm-hmm. so it's basically dina with a bloom apprentice mm-hmm. and then a bunch of pests a mm-hmm. bunch of instances of sorceries just I gain life, they lose life. Yeah. And then there's some love struck love struck beasts as well. So there's some like bigger creatures. Yeah. Does it run like a dual keeper? It doesn't. I mean like I said, I maybe it this morning, so maybe it could. Yeah. So with the with the pests and stuff and the life gain, so does it run like lesson cards? Yes. It does. Yeah, it's for um pest summoning. Pest summoning, yeah. Um necrotic fumes? Yeah, them? that's the one that the, the removal spell. Yeah, so exile one of your own, exile one of theirs. Yes. And then there is something else which I should know. <laughs> what is it? I mean, I would open Arena on my phone, but we haven't got twenty minutes. How do you think <laughs> it? How do you think it beats uh, like the the top standard decks at the moment? Like, how do you think it would stack up against rogues? What would be your game plan? Oh God, I hate <laughs> rogues. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a game plan. I just play and hope. So well, one of the cards you mentioned to me earlier was Sedgemorwich. Oh yeah, Sedgemorwich. Uh, Love her. That's the really, really nice card from uh, Strixhaven. And I have had trouble against that card with Winota. So one of the lists that I played was, it was like a Jund 
deck, uh, sort of like a Jun sacrifice deck in standard. So it has like Sedgemore Witch uh, and Claim the Firstborn, Plum the Forbidden, uh, because the idea is to sort of make a bunch of pests go go really wide. And I think it has like Eye Twitch as well on two mana to learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea is to you know build up a huge board and then you can like turn three, claim the Firstborn, and then Plum the Forbidden their creature and all of your creatures draw like seven cards oh, it's cheeky it's yeah. cheeky yeah it's a really cheeky deck and i was like this is ruining me <laughs> um <clears throat> and then they played like big finishes like Immersturm dragon um yeah it was it was a quite a tough deck it was a tough matchup i wasn't mm-hmm. prepared for it uh, i think i ended up losing that one actually it was it was a ladder match uh, yeah on my, on my way to mythic um and i was that was one of the few non-meta decks i say or off-meta decks that i actually lost um, it was really interesting to yeah. see that list, and I, I think there is some kind of potential there with like a Witherbloom or Jund Sacrifice list. I think there is. I actually <laughs> think that the Witherbloom decks um, could seriously be good, uh, at least while nobody's, while it's not on anybody's radar, it's, mm-hmm. it's all, the, all, all the much stronger. Yeah, as an uh, off-meta deck. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you've mentioned a couple of times uh, about your grind to mythic sam mm-hmm. did you pick up any insights along the way about you know the the grind to mythic uh how to get to mythic like did, did you learn anything along the way so i think so the uh, the overall um record for the deck because i used i used one deck to get to the mythic which I think is a good idea because you don't want to use a bunch of decks. Even though I understand that you can get like bored of some decks, um, no, I, I didn't. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's up to you whether or not you want to use a bunch of decks. But I used one deck to grind from Platinum Tier 4 all the way to Mythic, and that was Boros Winota. Uh, the record was 25, to, 25 wins to 9 losses uh, in the end, which is a lot it's a really positive win rate it was like 70 percent or something which is going to be more than most people Mm -hmm. um that's yeah that's that's way higher than average for even people who get to mythic generally mythic lists get to about 60 percent 60 percent win rate um but yeah i think the, the best thing to keep in mind is that you know it it doesn't take as long as you think it would if that makes sense um if you for, for for me personally, it took me one day uh, from how many hours? How, yeah, how much, yeah, how much <laughs> yeah. game time? So it was about eight hours of playing time. Yeah, um, which is a In lot. In one go? Yeah. Cool. No, 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 no. It okay, wasn't. Uh, I woke up at like six thirty on last Monday, uh, and then I played from till like seven till like ten a.m. And then in the evening, I played like another three or four hours. Okay. Um, yeah, so it was like seven or eight hours of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Winota is a really fast list. You're usually winning by turn four or turn five anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so the grind to Mythic for that list is a lot different than with a Rogues list, for example. Because yeah. if you're spending your games milling an opponent out to win, it's going to take a lot longer mm-hmm. than Winota. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really quick list to hit Mythic with. And I think the general... It's difficult to think, like... In terms of tips to getting to mythic, you know you're gonna see a lot of a uh, lot of rogues, a lot of soul tie. Those were literally my most common matchups, um, and mono red as well. Mono red was really difficult. Yeah, those three decks are like the top three in standard right now, I believe. Uh, they're just really efficient, really powerful, and you kind of you, you, your deck needs to be able to post sideboard 
just uh, you know find a way to win really. Um, and yeah, that I'm not I'm not sure like what else I can add to it other than just being good at magic. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, your list has to be able to combat as, as well as the top decks just the other decks because for example I got rolled by that Jun Sacrifice deck and I just wasn't prepared for that mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know what to sideboard at the end because at, uh, at the end of game one I lost and I was like well I just saw like a Sedgemore Witch and a bunch of pests and that, what do I do against that <laughs> and I brought in like Scorching Dragonfires and it was like oh in, in response I sacrificed my creatures and it's like I don't know what to do here. <laughs> um, I didn't know whether or not to go like over over the head with more of the skyclaves which would probably be a better idea but yeah like it's about being um especially in best of three because that's what i relied with i didn't do any best of one matches uh you really have to it, the sideboard game is a, is really important yeah um, so that's the kind of thing i want to know um yeah. how did you like was it just a matter of find a deck that you like uh, and then just keep running at the, the rank ladder until you end up in mythic or did you reflect on games at all did you uh, reflect on matchups did you how did you refine your sideboard tech over time did you make any tweaks to your list over time and, yeah. and what what educated those decisions that kind of thing so i didn't i think mentioned earlier i didn't change from pvddr's list at all throughout the whole grind to mythic uh, because i wanted to test his list yeah there was so many times in uh, the grind to mythic where i was like this luminarch aspirant is really not doing it for me mm-hmm. um but i thought i'm gonna keep it I just want to see if I can still get to Mythic with a list that maybe is pro- maybe Luminar Casper is good. I question my own judgment of it. Yeah. But um, now now I'm looking back on it, I think it is great. But yeah, I I kept it in because you know he is a great player and he is very smart and insightful. But um, and it could be a matter of it being uh, better in a high level tournament. Yeah. You know what's good in high level tournaments is not the same as what's good for ranked ladder. Yeah, there's a huge difference in that. Um, of course, there's a, a the whole idea of best of three in particular is that you want to make sure your game, your first game, is able to combat any deck. Because I found that I was almost always sideboarding Luminar Casperin out. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always take it out for uh, if it was an aggro matchup. I would take them out and bring in Scorching Dragonfire and more of the Skyclaves. If it was uh, against Rogues, I would take them out and bring in. Uh, the oxes and scorching dragonfire um and with that like you have to keep in mind that even if your card is in the main board it's it might not even be the best card in your deck you could it's, it's about not running the risk of like paying three oxes in your main board because that's going to be so bad against every other deck mm-hmm. it, that's that's what the whole best of three game is about your your main board your main 60 cards has to be average and then you make your deck way better in that matchup, yeah. just from your sideboard. That's what it's all about. That's the uh, when it comes to brewing like a list and making a list. That's what you need to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> sideboarding is the most important skill. I definitely think it is. Yeah, it was the most attributed to all of my wins. Mm-hmm. I would say. And do you have like a framework for how you manage your sideboarding decisions between games? Like, do you? So of course everybody thinks, well, these cards in my sideboard are good against their strategy. But then do you take it that step further and think, these are the cards that they'll have in their sideboard that they'll bring in against me. Uh, yeah. And so maybe, like, like let's say you're playing um, against, I don't know, you're playing, you're playing a, a Lovestruck Beast deck 
and you're playing against a deck that is going to sideboard in Soul Sears, which can kill mm-hmm. a Lovestruck Beast, do you then take out your Lovestruck Beasts as well? Because you know they're going to be sideboarding in Soul Sears. And then if you don't have your Lovestruck Beasts, what do you bring in to uh, try and gum up the board or, or whatever? Like, how far do you take sideboarding? You. So that is a really good question. Um, a lot of the time, I would... I think... I, you can make it to Mythic by just sideboarding once and then deciding that's the best. But I will say that like, if you want to take it a step further, you want to be able to figure out, is this good on the play? Is this good on the draw? Mm-hmm. Is, is there any changes I should make to my sideboard because I'm now on the draw in game three or something like that? And that is important because, for example, the Rogues matchup, how do they deal with Ox of Agonas? They play Cling to Dust. Yep that doesn't come in on game two because they haven't seen me play Ox of Agonas. Mm-hmm. But if they beat me game one, I bring in the Ox of Agonas. And then game two, they haven't put Cling to Dust in. They're like, oh, I just got beat by this card. Yeah. All right, put the Cling to Dust in. It's worth, it's worth thinking, should I take the Ox out? Because that kind of makes Cling to Dust a little bit of a dead card. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's also like, it's difficult to like make those decisions. But, you know, if I, if I did do that, I w- yeah, I, w- I would consider taking taking the Oxes back out and just mm-hmm. putting a Liminar Casper back in because that's just going to overall accrue more value. Yeah, the aggro is going to be better in their hand of Cling to Dust. Exactly. Than an Ox yeah. would, yeah. Um, yeah, and it, that being said as well, you can you can carry on playing your Ox of Agonas, but you can also... There's also, like, really tiny details that I think you should uh, keep in mind. For example, when you play Ox of Agonas you actually do want to choose which cards you exile from your graveyard. If you leave all the creatures in and exile your lands and your other like non-land spells, they cling to dust. If it's not targeting your ox, it's targeting a creature, which means they just gain three life and mm-hmm. they don't draw a card, which I think gaining three life over drawing a card is way worse. Yeah. Uh, so that's, again, like there's like tiny details that can actually win you matches. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they would have won if they drew one extra card with a cling to dust, but they couldn't because I only had creatures in my graveyard because I exiled all of my non Something like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, there's a there's a bunch of tiny details to remember when it comes to laddering and, and when it comes to playing other people. And I think those lot of incremental advantages are... In, it's important to be in the mindset to make those decisions because if you're laddering and you go for like if you do like a straight eight hour session yeah. you're gonna your, your quality of gameplay is gonna be way worse mm-hmm. um this is something that i've noticed as yeah. well having like grinded limited a little bit um this last week or so you can see in my 17s in my 17 lands data um quite evidently that uh my first draft of the day is almost always my best draft mm-hmm. of the day. Um, and then you, you see them steadily get worse after that. And I think it really, really clearly shows that my first couple of hours of Magic for the day are much, 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 much better than any Magic I play after that. I start to flag a little bit. Yeah. I start, you, like, you do start to um, drop small decisions which add up to a punt over time. No one obvious decision where like you get totally blown out, but you start to just sequence things a little bit wrong, and you start it starts to really add up. Um, mm. I've I've definitely noticed that. I, I, I'm one of those people. I think that. Uh, so I've never really liked grinding, uh, and I've never really liked the idea of sitting and playing Magic uh, on Arena for like 
eight hours a day mm-hmm. to get to Mythic. Uh, I think if I if I want to get to Mythic, it's going to have to be like a consistent. I'm going to play Magic every day for a couple of hours, uh, or, or maybe even twice a day, a couple of hour sessions at a time, uh, and, and sticking to that is what I would need to do for me to be able to grind. Yeah. I can't sit down and just grind yeah. and be good at Magic at the same time. <laughs> Um, okay, so another thing that happened in the Magic Sphere this uh, this past week was the FNM at Home Mr. Beast event. Mm-hmm. So I know that none of uh, none of you participated because you were at my house playing Magic <laughs> at the time that it was going on. Yes. But I still would like to know what you think of this event um, because I think it's a uh, it's the first time I've s- we've seen something like this. Mm-hmm. We did mention on previous episodes about how wizards are beginning to shell out some serious cash to bring in other influences to the mm-hmm. magic sphere. Um, what do you think of this event? Do you think it's good for the community? Do you think it was a a good incentive? Um, would you have played in it if you weren't roped into playing commander with me? Shoot. Well, I think obviously there was no reason not to play in it just because it is one hour of your time to possibly win. I guess that is quite a lot of time. But <laughs> yeah, it, it w- I would have probably played in it either way because uh, yeah, there's a chance to win 25 grand, mm-hmm. which is a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the event overall and what Wizards are doing, it kind of annoys me um, because they're you know they're pouring money into this this event you know they poured they must have poured a whole lot of money into this for to sponsor mr beast as well um and what the idea was it was to bring a bunch of people who have never played magic before get them to download and install the client and play in this event which is completely free entry there's a bunch of pre-constructed decks yeah the the, the color uh, challenge, the color decks, challenge decks. so they're so, fairly simple focused on uh, I think try they're trying to they're trying to be easier to understand. Yeah. Focus really on beginner. Mechanics. The idea is to appeal to beginners, yeah. people who have never played the game. They just want to jump on it and play. Um, and obviously, that's good for the growth of the scene. But I don't think it's done in a great way because you know people will come to the game, play play whatever the pre-constructed decks, whatever, um, and then I I think from there th- that's it. Like there's not much more incentive to play yeah. the game. They they might be like, oh, this is actually quite fun. Let's do the color challenge. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's not enough support in arena. Yeah. Like these new players, they'll come in. Maybe they'll play for this single event mm. with against other people who are also being forced into playing the color challenge decks. Hmm. And then what? Then they jump onto the ladder and yeah. get hit with rogues and subtle ultimatum it... for hours and hours and hours on end. Exactly. I think what wizards are in inst- like they should be, they should be prioritizing the well-being of their game yeah their their client is terrible and, mm-hmm. and they sh- I, I feel like that's what i would have liked to see them put a bit more effort and money into yeah and instead they're kind of going for this if there was thing. just a decent friends list and communication system for mm-hmm. players uh a decent kind of um matchmaking with your friends um like three or four player support and uh, better support for Brawl and Historic Brawl mm-hmm. that is all that it would take mm-hmm. for new players to stick around because Brawl and Historic Brawl are fun you get to play with all the cards in your collection uh, the parity between the most powerful and least powerful decks is a lot lot smaller mm-hmm. um, 
and you get to play with your friends, which it's is pretty crucial. Oh, it shouldn't be such a difficult thing to ask for. Yeah. yeah, to me, it seems like they made this event because they were like, "Hey, look at the spike in new players and numbers. We're such a great company. Yeah. We don't care about how many of them stick around, but you know, look at that. That's, yeah. that's you know, that we means I'm a good businessman mm-hmm. or woman." Yeah, <laughs> business person. Business person. Business person. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 on the other hand, though, I think that I think this event was pretty cool, and I do feel as though magic is, you know, whether it's directly related to Wizards' recent actions, I feel like magic is on a real upward trend, and I think there's a couple of factors for that. One is the massive, massive spike in the popularity of D&D over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Magic and D&D are very, very closely tied. We're about to get a D&D set. And so I think I think that D&D set is, it is designed to tap into uh, the massive spike in popularity of D&D, thanks to things like Critical Role uh, and Coronavirus, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that uh, the next set to be released as well? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, D&D is so, so much more popular now than it was a few years ago. Um, even like with fifth edition releasing, like when I first tried to play D anD D, it was with um, either three point five or fourth edition, mm. and it was horrible. It was it was it's, yeah. it was so bad. It was so difficult. Uh, me and my friends tried like three or four times with no experience to play. Uh, I think it was three point uh, like yeah three point five e was the name of the edition and it was so complicated and we just it wasn't fun and now it's gone down as one of the notoriously worst editions of D. <laughs> um but 5e is so much easier um and so much more kind of gamified and i think it's made more mainstream which some people some diehard fans of D don't like but it has led to a massive spike in popularity of D. and i think that that is beginning to have a knock-on effect in the popularity of magic um you're starting to see a lot more people playing magic and it's starting to be picked up uh, by a lot more pop culture um icons one of those uh, or some of that is driven by wizards of the coast you know getting mr beast involved mm-hmm. um the big streamer event that they've got coming up where they've got like four non-magic streamers coming together mm-hmm. to play for the first time um and then yeah i mean like just this week i saw a picture of uh joe johnson uh from i hate your deck uh a, a commander youtube channel um took a selfie with post malone playing magic uh because he ran ran into post malone uh in like a local game store or something playing magic uh which uh (laughs) yeah i I seriously think that um magic is on a on a real upward trend i think i could see it blowing up at some point like D D did with critical role um and i think that that is ultimately going to be a good thing uh you know there's always some downside to when a uh a product is kind of commercialized like this sometimes you lose some some of what people feel is the spirit of the product uh, sometimes you get new people come in and their uh you know sales are prioritized money is prioritized over maintaining the spirit of the product but mm. uh on the other hand um more people playing magic is better for magic mm. Mm. yeah um, so I, I, I like this event and I, I think that it 
it, depending, it depends on how you look at it. It says some not good things. I agree yeah. with you on that. It also says some good things. Yeah. I think that's the simplest way I can put it. Finally, in magic <laughs> news, this week, um, we have got the upcoming, uh, uh, what is it, an arena open mm-hmm. that's been announced. Uh, same as last time, it is a sealed event. It is two days, um, and they've released all the details for it. So it costs a bunch of gems to enter. I think it's like 4,000 4, gems. And that's usually the price, yeah. yeah. Um, and so how it works is you can play either best of one or best of three. Um, in best of three, I think you have to win three games. In best of one, you have to win seven games. One loss and you're out. Similar to the metagame challenge, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you can enter it as many times as you want. Uh, and if you do get your seven wins in best of one or your three wins in best of three, bearing in mind it's sealed, you qualify for day two. Uh, and you do actually get some rewards as well. You get like some packs and some gems. Although I think, uh, I think for example, um, in best of one, the prize for seven wins is 2,000 gems and qualify for day two and some mm-hmm. packs, uh, bearing in mind it's 4,000 gems to enter. Yeah. Uh, so the prizes are not very good unless you're really going for day two. In day two, um, as you win more, you can win you know, better prizes, the top three prizes. So um, if, you, if you make it to four wins on day two, I think, in best of one, Oh, no, uh, no, that's that's not right. Uh, day two is only best of three. Oh, okay. Um, and so I don't know how it works. I think if you win one... Oh, the top three tiers of prizes are descending $2,000, $1,000, then 20,000 gems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is some, some more below that, but it's all best of three. So I think it's seven best of three games. Yeah, I feel like that I, I think that's correct. I think it's seven best of three games. So if you win four of them, Five of them. If you win five of them, you get twenty thousand gems. If you win six of them, you get a thousand dollars. If you win all seven, uh, you get two thousand dollars. And so um, this is uh, well. I, I want to know two things from you guys. One, what do you think of this event in general? And two, what do you think of Strixhaven Sealed? So let's talk about the event first. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what, what what do you think? Is this something you would enter? Um, what do you think of like the cost and the prize and, and the way that Wizards have set this up? I think it's fine. I wouldn't enter it because I've never done Sealed before. I don't. I think it mm. would just be a waste. <laughs> so 4,000 gems is more than I actually have. Yeah. I have like 3,500. So I would have to spend money to get gems to definitely lose. Like I would just <laughs> lose. I've never done Sealed before. And from what I've seen on Twitter, Sealed in Strixhaven doesn't seem to be very good. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a cool concept i think that if you can do sealed and you have the gems why not do it and i would agree with that i think ultimately what i think of this event is that if you have a seriously good chance of getting to the later prizes it's worth it Mm. um and by that i mean like four or five wins on day two if you are only like even if you get seven wins on day one it's not been worth your time yeah. Um, so you need to be genuinely good at sealed, especially because it's two different sealed events. So if you get really lucky on day one, you pull the most busted Strixhaven sealed deck 
which in Strixhaven, thanks to mystical archive cards, can include like fourteen rares. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and like you you pull the most absurdly busted deck. You just pull out uh, basically a pre-constructed challenger deck that yeah. just steamrolls everyone. Um, you could still come out um, on like n- with a net loss because you're seven o day one. You'll get two thousand. You'll get half of your gems back. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go to day two and you'll do a new sealed and yeah, you'll get an yeah. average sealed deck. Uh, and, you know, if you're not good at sealed, you'll maybe you'll still win one or two games. Even if you do and then you lose, you still hasn't been worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You still haven't even made your, your gems back. Um, so I think that this event is only really worth entering if you seriously believe that you could go the full distance if you're good at sealed. Mm. Um like there is not very much luck involved. I mean, there is. You, you can definitely do two sealed events and pull two busted decks. Well, this is the thing. I think with this, because they've only recently made the arena open. It's been around for a while. The whole like big prize money thing. But usually it will be like standard or historic. Mm-hmm. And only recently, I think in Calheim, they introduced it as a sealed event instead, and everyone was really excited because it's like, hey, we're not gonna have to play against seven rogues list yeah. right? or seven, <laughs> blah blah blah, whatever. Um, it's a lot more different. It's a lot more exciting, um, but at at the cost of that, it is a lot more, you know, lucky a little bit. It, there's a lot more luck involved. Obviously, mm-hmm. that that doesn't mean that doesn't not to take away anyone from uh, from who, who does do one in the event, but um, and people who do practice sealed as well. There's they obviously have a way more advantage, but there's still a lot more room for. Yeah, you know, you, we could enter it ourselves and. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I agree, um, because I think that so in Kaldheim, it you you could definitely say that there is a bigger element of luck involved, mm-hmm. because in Kaldheim sealed, if you open a coma, you can just ride that to victory, yeah. and it's just so it's such a broken card. But I think that in limited in Strixhaven, bombs are beatable. Uh, there yeah. are there are not many bombs, none that I can think of that aren't beatable. A lot of the Elder Dragons, which are S tier, have four toughness and can be heated debated. Um, uh, Mizix's Mastery is super busted, but in a sealed pack, it's probably not. Mm. Like, Mizix's Mastery is fine. Uh, um, but if you build it in the right deck, it can be absolutely yeah. absurd if over you the get, top. If you get, like, pack one, pick one, Mizix's Mastery and draft, you can quite easily pick up big spells yeah. to discard mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, but in a sealed, it's not as big a deal, or it's not as likely to be busted. Yeah. And I think that generally, um, uh, like, Kaldheim was a really high-powered set mm-hmm. uh, for limited. Like, it was a really high-powered limited set. Strixhaven is the opposite. It's a much more low-powered set. Which is funny. Bo- yeah. <laughs> um, bombs, are, bombs are beatable in this format. Like, you can, you can, most decks can deal with one or two bombs from the opponent. And so I think that that puts more of an emphasis on skill. That yeah. puts more of an emphasis on, on how good a player you are. Uh, and and you can make an average deck go a little bit further in Strixhaven than you could in Kaldheim. That makes sense. Mm. Do you plan on entering it? So I will do it once. Yeah. Um, and that's because I like the spirit of these big events where, you know, everybody's competing for a big prize. Mm-hmm. Um, if this were a paper event that I could go to where, you know, I'd pay £25 and then I would play Magic all day, mm-hmm. uh, and then have a chance of qualifying for day two, have a chance of 
uh, of getting a big cash prize at the end. That is something I would like to do. That's not something we can do in the UK at the moment because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. Um, but that that is something that I like the idea of. What I don't like about this event is that because it's on arena, uh, you can just enter as many times as you want. And that, to me, feels a little bit predatory. That, uh, And you'll see this on the day. You'll see streamers uh, enter like four, five, six, eight times Jeez. until they qualify for day two. And then in day two, you only get the one chance to go. Mm. But you could easily spend uh, 10, 20,000 gems just trying to get to day two. Yeah. And I think that uh, no rational person would spend all that money on it, but I think yeah. that um, that's it, it's a little bit predatory to allow people to enter it multiple, multiple times. Like I would actually prefer it if controversial though it may be, like a big paper event, you were allowed to enter once. Yeah, I think that um, of course you you could say, but then people just keep making new accounts until they uh, and yes. Yes, you're right. Uh, that like as long as it's within the time slot, but that, it, it's that added layer. It's that added layer of um, like steps they have to take mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Uh, and and that's not because um, I don't want those people to succeed. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. want them to to get today too. It's because most of the time, most of the people who are willing to keep running at this event until they qualify for day two are going to come out at a net negative. And it, it promotes a gambling mindset. Uh, it, like, if you enter this event three or four times and you make it to five, six wins, but then you, you, your, uh, your run ends, um, it would be really easy to start thinking, oh, but, like, I've already spent mm-hmm. 15,000 gems on this. Uh, if I just get lucky with the next one, then I could make all that back. You know, I just have to win four games. If I win seven games today, I just have to win four games on day two and then I get all my gems back. And uh, I think that's not a healthy mindset to promote. Mm. So I don't like that, um, that that's the way that it's being handled on Arena. Uh, but I, I do like this event. I like the spirit of it if you enter it once. And so I will enter it once. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm treating it as if it's a paper event. You know, uh, I have one shot, I have one sealed... Um, and I'm going to see where that gets me, uh, and I'm I'm going to take a light-hearted approach to it. I think that's best. I, I think that the streamers who, uh, you know, streamers actually, of course, it's a bit of an investment. Uh, they'll get more views if they're able to broadcast their day two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is like they they're going to get some money back, possibly. Depend like there the, 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 there's a level of investment there, but them doing that kind of sends the message to normal players that you can spend as like you can spend however much money it takes to get to day two and that i think is just not healthy for the player base so i i'm going uh, whilst i don't think it really means much uh i'm gonna enter once because that's what i would recommend most players do treat it treat it as a one chance event um, yeah, don't sink your money into it. Yeah, it's... yeah. If, if you want to do a bunch of seals, do a bunch of sealed. But this is a really expensive way to do a bunch of sealed. It's <laughs> £25 per entry. Yeah. Jesus. Sheesh. Yeah, that's fine if, for once. You know, for this kind of yeah. event, with a £2,000 yeah. prize, um, or a $2,000 prize, £25 entry is, is actually okay, I think. I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I think that 
the the people who are going to see like they're going to see the two thousand dollar prize and they're going to get dollar signs kind of mm-hmm. in their eyes and then keep running at it <laughs> that's uh i think that's problematic and i don't really like that wizards is setting up events like this uh which predate on those kinds of people who are a bit more vulnerable to this kind of stuff so yeah i'll be entering once that's fair that is totally fair that said, uh, Strixhaven Sealed, as you said, Sarah, some people haven't been a huge fan of it. And I think that is because um, Sealed is usually slower and a bit dirtlier than Draft. And Strixhaven is already quite dirtly as a yeah. format. Mm. Um, and uh, as we discussed earlier, your best bet is to stay within a strong two-color pair but you can splash, and there are some good splashes in, in Strixhaven Draft. Your odds of getting those good splashes is a lot, lot lower in Sealed. Um, and like it's not un- it's not uncommon for, in Sealed to, to play three colours because you just have so little control. And I think that three colour decks are a lot weaker in Strixhaven. If it's like, uh, unless you're intentionally splashing... Just a normal three-color deck mm. is a lot weaker. Yeah, mm. two-color decks with the splash can be really powerful, but most of the time, like most of the time, uh, that third color is actually just going to weaken the deck. Mm. Uh, and so, I don't know. I, I've I've not played any. Oh no, that's not true. I have done one sealed event, um, and uh, it it was one of my earliest ones, so I, I can't really draw much insight from it. Yeah. Um, but if it's slow and dirty for everyone. We'll see. We'll see how uh, how it plays out, what people think of it. Yeah. But I think that's probably why people haven't really been enjoying the sealed format. I think that the draft is a lot, lot more fun. Yeah, like being I... able to see what archetype is open and then slotting into it and build, seeing the deck come together. Uh, yeah, draft draft is super fun in Strixhaven. Sealed, I've not had. I don't, I don't see it as being as much fun. Yeah, I think I think it's always been that way as well. Like sealed, you get. You basically end up with a bunch of cards that are useless, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't get to play. But in draft, that almost never happens. You usually just pick the cards that you need. Yeah, it's it's a much different format, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It would be nice to see an arena open done with like premier draft involved. That mm-hmm. would be quite cool. But that would be cool. Pretty tough as well. Um, I think that I do like that they do sealed though. You know, despite mm-hmm. everything that I just said um (laughs) i like that they make these events sealed because i think seal is the least played kind of format yeah um and so you know it gets its time it gets its time when the arena opens uh where everybody plays seal and and like it presses people to play something a bit different um next i would like to see a lot more brawl i was just about to say imagine like a brawl arena open it'd be be, be (laughs) super fun it'd be fun but i well, actually, I don't know because I think Brawl has a really oppressive meta game. Yeah, so just like just like EDH, EDH super fun. CEDH is just not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really not. Everyone plays like Kinnon, Brawl, or yeah. Yeah. Omnath. Oh Omnath god, Brawl. Omnath is so gross in Brawl. Essica as well. Um, is Oko even legal in Brawl? I don't Oko's think he is. Legal, no. Yeah, because it's so busted. That's really ridiculous. <laughs> it's like yeah, my three mana. Six loyalty planeswalker. Oh, you kill it. Shut Five mana, your... six loyalty yeah. planeswalker. <laughs> it comes in and it I'll... shuts down your commander. <laughs> I'll play it again. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I would like to see more kind of focus on brawl. I think yeah. brawl is super fun, but yeah, in a competitive format, I don't think brawl would be fun at all. The, the first thing they would need to do is 
push a bit more brawl competitive to sort of iron out the meta game and then you know make bands i mm-hmm. guess uh make bands to on nath please <laughs> and, and and yeah and kinnan as well kinnan's yeah. ridiculous <clears throat> yeah so they, that's the thing that's probably why they wouldn't do an arena open anytime soon because they would first have to establish like a a scene for the brawl yeah. game because there isn't really one there's just a bunch of people playing really good brawl decks what they could do is um announce an arena brawl open mm. it starts in 20 minutes <laughs> and it's going to be going on for an hour because then nobody has any time to find out what the busted deck is oh god <laughs> that, no, that'd be the worst I did because there's then there no, is I guess the people every, that, everybody would just play yeah. the They're obviously just play broken commanders. They just, just yeah. net deck. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Let's look at the best one.
<laughs> that's not the show notes. That's my email. Guess I should get. So today I want to talk about order confirmation PayPal receipt from Uber Eats. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)